Welcome to the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. When talking about the built environment, we would do well to remember, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Therefore, on each episode, we'll discuss the latest trends from my Atmo in plumbing and mechanical safety, sustainability, and resiliency. Join me, your host, Christoph Lohr, and together we'll explore the ways we can make our buildings shape us for the better. This episode is sponsored by QFlow International, offering innovative Legionella membrane filters to stop and help prevent Legionellosis and more. Just because it's clear doesn't mean it's clean. We usually think about the Legionella threat in terms of hospitals and buildings, but did you know that Legionella can impact home water systems too? Joining me for the second time on today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Dr. Janet Stout, Executive Vice President and Founder of Special Pathogens Laboratory, who will discuss the threat of Legionella and what steps communities should consider in new home construction and remodeling. Here's our discussion. Dr. Stout, welcome to the show. Yeah, my pleasure to be with you, Christoph. Well, we're really excited to have you back, and I always enjoy our conversations. It's been a little while, but let's dive back into it. For our listeners, what is Legionella and how do people become infected? So Legionella is the bacteria that causes a life-threatening form of bacterial pneumonia called Legionnaire's disease. And it probably surprises people to know that this bacteria is in the water coming out of their faucets and showers. And so how do people become infected from the water that's coming from their showers and faucets? Well, historically, the usual mode of transmission or how people become infected is called aerosolization. It means that the bacteria in the water it's into a mist or an aerosol and we breathe it in. And so it has a direct pathway into our lungs. There's also another way called aspiration where you're drinking basically a glass of water that has Legionella in it or ice. And then it transiently colonizes the upper airway and you little bits and pieces of those droplets go down into your airway via aspiration. So basically when those bacteria make their way on little droplets that get put into the air from spray, that's where there's some concern there. Yes. So then is Legionella a concern for bathrooms in single-family homes or other types of buildings? Well, you know, that's a great question and one that we asked very early on in our research. It goes back to the 1980s, not long after the discovery of the disease at the American Legion Convention in Philadelphia in 1976. And we found Legionella, we looked first in large buildings like hospitals where we knew disease was occurring. And then we asked the question that you just asked, well, would we see as much in single-family dwellings? And about 50% of large buildings have Legionella. And our study and others showed only about 10% of single-family residential buildings, uh, homes had Legionella, simpler water systems. Uh, and then actually we did a subsequent study by the, uh, funded by the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, asking us to go backwards from somebody had Legionnaire's disease and ask the question, did they get it from their home? And we actually found about 20% of the cases acquired it from their homes. Uh, but the good news about the study was that the people that got Legionnaire's disease from their homes were highly compromised or in that high-risk group, being elderly, uh, having immunosuppressive conditions like leukemia, or one woman I remember was uh, post-breast uh, cancer chemotherapy. So it sounds like, from what you're describing then, it's homes that are more complex or, or buildings, I should say, that are more complex. So single-family homes tend to be pretty simple from a plumbing standpoint, but maybe a multifamily home apartment but it's a little bit more complex, could have a little bit of an increase in risk. And then the population that's in these dwellings, if you're somebody that has already been sick, um, then you have a little bit of an increase in risk. 
Yes, and, and the traditional risk factors for Legionnaire's disease are being older. Uh, you might surprise your listeners that older means over than 50. Uh, <laughs> chronic lung disease, uh, smokers, um, you know, immunosuppressive conditions, and certainly the most at risk would be a transplant recipient. All right, so we kind of set the stage here of, you know, sort of that transmission path, you know, the concerns of the water droplets getting put into the air through spray, and then the types of people and the types of buildings are concerned. So let's kind of dive into the details here in terms of like the showers and faucets. Is there, what is the shower filter that protects against, or faucet filter that protects against waterborne pathogens, and how do they differ from some tap filters? Well, bacteria are very, very small, as you know, uh, and so the size of Legionella is in microns. And so the pore size of filters has to be 0.2 micron or smaller in order to exclude bacteria, including Legionella. And we first had experience with these, what are called point of use filters, where you put it on the fixture at the end of the faucet or the end of the shower head. Had our first experiences with those in healthcare institutions. And we've done many, many studies ourselves demonstrating efficacy of them. So when people are immunocompromised at home, for example, uh, what I say is, what would I want to do? And I say, well, I would want one of these point of use filters on the shower that I use and on the most used faucet that I would use to protect me from not only Legionella, but some other bacteria that could cause infections in immunosuppressed people. Fascinating, fascinating. So there is some general recommendations out there for these filters being able to do that. So how does someone know then if a given filter will really prevent Legionella in the shower? Are these filters regulated in any kind of way? Uh, yes, they have to sort of pass a test. And, you know, I know that people that may be listening don't have access to peer-reviewed scientific journals, but if they do, for example, our last publication was in the American Journal of Infection Control in 2019, where we not only evaluated one of the new point-of-use filters on the market by one of the manufacturers, but we also did an overview of all of the manufacturers that had point-of-use filters on the market at the time. So if you don't have access to that, you know, how do you know that these filters are working? And so there are different organizations, the American Society of Testing Materials, ASTM, National Science Foundation, NSF, also ASSE has a standard now. And so you're looking to see, was that filter challenged by following these standards with a known concentration of bacteria? And why are they successful at holding those bacteria back so that none came out the other end of the filter? And so you yeah, have to read the fine print, just like on any product. So I think you kind of talked about it, but maybe explain a little bit further, like how these filters and these Legionella filters are tested to know that they perform. Are, are there any particular standards or any test protocols that you're aware of that kind of test towards that? Well, historically, the standard has used a surrogate organism. It's a, another bacteria called Pseudomonas and a, a certain very high concentration, you know, say a million per milliliter is passed through the filter. The ASSE standard, the LEC, is the only one that I know of. It's Legionella reduction and treatment devices is the only one I know that specifically addresses Legionella. And you can tell the audience what ASSE stands for, Christoph. It is ASSE International. So, but yes, that's very true, Dr. Stout. So uh, these standards, it does seem that these standards really have an impact in terms of the industry, let's say, in terms of giving some confidence in knowing that these can perform. Yes, and you know, FDA also uh, makes recommendations for following certain standards for validation of you know product claims, and so it's, it is really important for the consumer 
uh, and for them to have faith in the performance of these filters to have these standards in place. Definitely, definitely. Well, a lot of this sounds pretty high tech, right? We're talking about microbiology and certificates of confidence in essence. But then I'm sure our listeners are probably going to ask, can anyone install these filters or do you need like a professional installer, you know, that has a lot of training? You know, do installers need some kind of specialized training? And what's your experience been with that? Uh, My experience with this, regardless of the manufacturer, is they are interested in making sure that the installation is not uh, so onerous that, you know, an average person couldn't do it. So most of these, there's an adapter piece that goes on the end of the threaded end of a faucet or the end of the shower wand or hose. And that adapter piece, then sometimes there's a quick connector. They just pop on. Then after a certain period of time, you have to replace them. So you don't have to be a plumber to install these devices. I think that'll give a lot of our listeners some peace of mind. But you kind of mentioned something there in passing, which was talking about replacing them. What's your awareness been in terms of ongoing maintenance and knowing that you're still protected with these filters? Right. So depending on the manufacturer, and this was something that we put in the supplemental material of our article, they're length of life, right, how long before you have to replace them differs tremendously from manufacturer. And even some manufacturers within their product offerings have different time points, 30 days, 90 days, 120 days. Now, the tricky part is those claims of use uh, really depend on the water quality. And so as we talked about, the, the pore, the hole that the bacteria are stopped is very, very small, micron, 0.2 micron. And so there's a lot of dirt that's much bigger than that, right? That's in our water. Uh, Might surprise people to know that, but it clogs the filter. Uh, In some parts of the United States or the world, the water is cleaner in terms of those particulates than other places. And so if it has a lot of particulates, it's going to clog that filter and you're going to have to replace it more often than what the manufacturer suggests is sort of average use. So sometimes people are surprised when the filters don't last as long as what they expect. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, obviously filter replacement and purchasing filters, you know, there's probably always the concern of affordability and, and access to this. Any thoughts on what can be done to help people in underserved areas with poor water quality who might not be able to afford a Legionella filtration system? You know, I think in an underserved area, a point-of-use filter probably isn't the solution for them. It's probably disinfectant in the water uh, or boiling the water. As primitive as that sounds, it's very, very effective at controlling exposure to any number of pathogens, including Legionella. So that's probably a more practical approach. You know, the price point historically has not been cheap. And so, you know, maybe as more and more manufacturers get into the offering and it's greater and greater acceptance, uh, the price may go down. But I think in a poor economy, uh, probably water safety takes sort of a more basic approach like boiling water. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, we've talked a lot about Legionella, but is there any other health or wellness benefits to Legionella filters? You know, obviously people, they, they search for filters that benefit their skin and hair. Now, is there any other sort of unintended benefits instead of consequences when it comes to using a Legionella filter for your shower faucet? Well, to me, when you ask that question, Christoph, the, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, it's not just Legionella in our water that causes infections, particularly for people who are compromised. Uh, So there are other bacteria like Pseudomonas, like non-tuberculous mycobacteria. Uh, For example, uh, non-tuberculous mycobacteria is problematic for patients with cystic fibrosis, uh, similar uh, with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And so these bacterial exclusion filters, uh, that 0.2 micron or lower pore size, will exclude those pathogens as well. 
And so again, you know, I always think, you know, if I'm immunocompromised, what would Janet Stout, the microbiologist, now legionellologist, what would I want to do? What would make me feel safe during that period of compromise? And a point of use filter would do that and it would protect me from any number of potential pathogens. Well, last question, uh, because we've had you on the podcast before, Dr. Stout, and thank you again for your time today. Mm -hmm. We'd love to have you on again. What do you think, you know, if it's in about a year's time, we have you coming back on the podcast to talk about something Legionella obviously related. What do you think we're going to be talking about in terms of Legionella? Well, what I would love to be able to say is that, you know, with new water management requirements from ASHRAE, an engineering organization, and in healthcare, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Joint Commission, that we would be talking about how the number of cases has been dramatically reduced compared to historical values. I would love for that to be what we're talking about. I, you know, I've, I've lived long enough to say, well, you know, I'm not going to be cynical, but I'm going to be pragmatic. Uh, we may uh, still not be where we need to go in a year's time, but this is the direction that we want people to go in. And I'm really grateful for your podcast to raise awareness of the availability of some of these things like point of use filters to prevent cases of community acquired uh, or even hospital acquired Legionnaire's disease. So hopefully we'll be talking about that. I love the aspirational tones of that. That's right. Hopefully that uh, aspirational tone sets the mode. Well, our mission is a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, and that is to end Legionnaire's disease. And I say it's not so much an audacious goal as an achievable goal with help from people like you. Uh, that's too kind of you to say, but thank you. Thank you. Well, Dr. Stout, on behalf of the Authority Podcast and Atmo, just thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to record this with me and looking forward to having you on again in the near future. Yeah, I, I would love that. And thank you so much for the opportunity today. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please follow us on Twitter at AuthorityPM, on Instagram at The Authority Podcast, or email us at iatmo at iatmo.org. Join us next time for another episode of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. In the meantime, let's work together to make our buildings more resilient and shape us for the better.